Father, we thank you for uh, this time of worship that we have had and are having. Uh, We still enter into a time of worship, opening your word and looking at what you have to say to us, Lord. We worship you uh, by surrendering to what you have to say. So we ask you to challenge us, uh, but also give us the grace that we need to receive that challenge, Lord, to live differently in light of how we've been challenged by your word. So uh, be with us now. Uh, open our eyes, open our hearts to what you have to say to us, and um, we look forward to what you have to do in and through us in these next few moments. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Welcome, everyone. Are you ready? (laughs) Um, Some of us strolled in here, you know, half asleep, late wedding last night. Uh, it was good. It was a blessing. Uh, the gospel was shared. Um, for those of you who know Beth, uh, you can congratulate her on her marriage to uh, Aaron. It was, a, it was a great time. It was beautiful. Um, we're going to take the next three weeks to sort of meditate a little bit on a passage that's sort of in preparation for this faith Q&A that we're having. Now, as we've been kind of putting on your radar to invite people to this faith Q&A, our hope, what we're trusting is that you all have some people in your lives that are not believers, but maybe they're like on the fence or they have questions or maybe every time you bring up a conversation, they, they go to the same questions all the time. Or finally, you think you've got that one licked and then they pull out another question that they heard from somewhere else or maybe one that's been bugging them for a long time etc. So we want to just take a few weeks to kind of talk about uh, what it's like to be Christians that are vocal, Christians that are uh, loud about their faith, and then how to respond when people don't like that. Um, We know around the world there's all kinds of persecution, and there's different levels of persecution. Persecution against Christianity in America is pretty light, right? You, you, You might get a sneer, you might get a heckle, Um, maybe a little bit more than that, but Christianity in general is uh, persecuted everywhere. Different levels, but it's persecuted. I don't know about you, but every time I'm watching a movie and there's the token Christian guy, you know, he's an idiot. You know, he's always like, they make him look like he's just in a cult. He's completely disconnected from reality. Uh, It's a humorous point for the movie or the show. you know, um, I don't really watch these horror movies, but like if you see the previews and stuff, and there's some demonic girl, and the priests are always bumbling idiots, right? The cross doesn't work, holy water doesn't work, the church doesn't work because Christians are idiots. So they, you know, demonic powers, that's powerful, but the cross, that's stupid. Um, maybe you remember back to your college days, how loud were you about your faith, or how quiet were you about your faith? Um, you know, we, we don't have the level of persecution other countries have, but it's enough for us to, you know, grapple with how do we react? How do we react? So have you ever been persecuted? Can you think of a moment when someone attacked you for your Christian faith, for what you believe, for your journey with Christ? Maybe they ridiculed you. Maybe it's a joke, something that offended you. How do you react? How do you respond? I think, I think we, we naturally go to one of two extremes. 
one reaction that some of us lean toward is uh, retreat. You know, just, you know, I'm not going to stoop to that level. I'm not going to say anything back. I'm just going to walk away. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just not going to get into that fight. I'm not going to get dragged into that kind of discussion. I'm just going to walk away. I'm just, I'm just going to move away and just keep the peace, you know. No need to get into it with anybody and just kind of walk away. That's, that's retreat, right? Well, some of us are the opposite, right? Some of us retaliate. We don't ret- retreat. We, we snap back. And we've got jokes for them. <laughs> and you believe we came from monkeys? You know, or we have our own kind of comebacks, you know. And uh, we have a little fish in our car. Then they come out with the, the Darwin thing that's eating the fish. And then we come out with something else that eats the Darwin fish. I mean, it's like these tit for tats and this, you know, retaliation. We just have our, our comebacks. They come out with a documentary that makes fun of us. We might come out with a documentary that, you know, pokes holes in what they believe and, and back and forth. And it's kind of retaliate. Uh, for some of us, maybe learning apologetics is learning comebacks. You know, you're not, you're not concerned with moving that person, their soul along in faith. You just want to have that comeback so they go, oh, and like, that's right, we're not stupid, you are, and then walk away. And that's, sometimes that's what apologetics is for us, you know, we just, just comebacks. Uh, don't let them just, you know, answer a fool according to his folly kind of thing, right? How do we respond? Well, there's a third way. Not to retreat, not to hide, not to become, you know, this little ingrown, you know, covert community, but not to be out there uh, ridiculing and having our own set of jokes either. There's a third way. And to look at that, I want you to turn to First Peter chapter 3. Okay, we'll just be here for a few minutes um, today before our time of communion. First Peter chapter 3. Peter is writing to an audience that some scholars think are mostly Gentiles, but they're scattered around, okay? So it's not just one place like the book of Ephesians is written to believers in Ephesus or the book of 1 Corinthians is written to people in Corinth. This is like to people all over the place. And so it has Peter's name on it. He wrote this book. No one really contests that historically. Letter gets out, gets copied, gets circulated so people can read this letter. It gets delivered from church to church. And seven different times, at least seven different times in this letter, he mentions enduring the suffering of persecution. Now, Nero hadn't started the whole, you know, let's burn them all campaign yet, but Nero was already in in position, so that's about to happen. And for Nero to be able to do something like that, you know, everyone's got to already hate Christians, you know. So there's already this this thick um, part of their culture where Christianity is hated, Christians are stupid, they're mocked, they're made fun of, they're ostracized, um, sometimes physically harmed. Um, And seven different times at least here, he's encouraging them how to live, how to endure. But for Peter, endure does not mean to retreat, and it no longer means to retaliate. You remember when they tried to grab Jesus and Peter pulled his sword out and lopped the ear off of the, the, the guy, the high priest guard? He's not doing that anymore either. There's a third way. There's a different way. We don't retreat, but we don't just retaliate either. What are we supposed to do? You drop your eyes down at chapter, you're in chapter 3, drop your eyes down to verse 8. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. I want all of you to think this way. Sympathy, brotherly love, 
a tender heart and a humble mind. You see how Peter's gotten softened from the Peter you read in the Gospels? Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. When they insult you, revile you, make fun of you, mock you, hurt you, offend you. Don't repay by offending them back, mocking them back, reviling them back, persecuting them back. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, run away. No, not retreat. On the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Peter finally picked up what Jesus was trying to put down during the Sermon on the Mount, all those times that they had their sessions together. You don't retreat and walk away and run, but you don't retaliate either. What's the third way? Do the opposite of what they're doing to you. So it's still proactive. It's still something you're doing, but it's the opposite. They curse you, you bless them. They make fun of you, you give them a compliment. Don't repay and don't run. On the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Christians are on a journey where we obtain a blessing in the end, right? Right? We just, we just sang that, oh, it is well with my soul. Why is it well with my soul? Because there'll be that time when the clouds will be rolled back like a scroll and that's when it's coming. That's the blessing. If we really believe that, that's something we can latch onto. And so when people attack us, we can bless them because, you know what, that that doesn't rock our world. We're fixed on this blessing that we're aiming to obtain, right? And so we don't retaliate. We don't don't run away from the conversation. We don't try to switch topics. We don't uh, disappear from Facebook, you know. We just crawl into a little hole. No. We're vocal. Um, But we we don't pick the fights either. You know, I go on my Facebook feed, and Facebook is just this weird phenomenon, you know. <laughs> like, I love it, I hate it, I love it, I hate it, you know. And one of the things <laughs> I don't like is um, everyone just blasts their opinion on there because you're not in, in anyone's face. So it's just easy to just p- plaster anything you want on Facebook, you know. Um, and I see a lot of negativity against Christianity on there. But I see the same junk coming from Christians. And they create little memes, and it's like you know, the body of an idiot and the head of whatever politician they, they think is unchristian and, and they're just poking fun. It's just, it's this, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? No, not, not to retaliate, not to repay, not to get evil, like get even with them, but to bless them, to bless them so that we'll obtain this blessing. Peter's not trying to say that if you bless people, you'll earn that blessing. What he's saying is people that are truly going to obtain that blessing are the kind of people that bless even when they're cursed. So this isn't a work salvation. He's saying earn your blessing from God by blessing other people. But he's saying, you're going to obtain that blessing? Show me that you're the kind of person that's headed that, that way. And the kind of person that's headed that way is the kind of person that even when they're mocked, even when they're you know, um, abused verbally or otherwise, they can return a blessing. That's amazing. I, I'm preaching to myself. You know, I, I, that is tough. But that's what it's called for. He quotes Psalm 34. Look what he says. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Right? That, that blessing that we're going to obtain. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from p- speaking deceit. Well, what if they speak evil to me first? doesn't matter. 
You keep your tongue from evil. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Peace doesn't just happen. Peace doesn't just come to you. You seek it. You pursue it. You have to create that scenario. And you create it by blessing in return when you're cursed. Verse 12, why? Why do you do that? Because pastor said so. Because he's going to ask you next Sunday. Because the eyes of the Lord are on you all the time. That's why. <laughs> you know, that's why. He's, his eyes are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, Peter's kind of taking that from Psalm and inserting it into his passage here. And what he's trying to say is that the, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, even if that evil looks like the other person deserved it. You see? His, the flow of his thought is when you repay evil, when evil happens to you. And he's saying when something evil happens to you, when you do something back and retaliate, the face of the Lord is against you. He, he's not blessing that. That is not what a Christian does. Now, verse 13, he gets real practical, right? He says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? In other words, what kind of person would it take to keep persecuting you if when they slash your tires, you give them, you, you know, you, you take them to Costco and buy them new tires? What kind of person would keep slashing your tires there? What kind of person would keep mocking you if you compliment them? Now, some of us can think of some real you know, tough cases where maybe it can get to that level. We'll get to that in a second. But he's saying in general, in general, most people will have a hard time trying to keep going after you if what they get in response is blessing, right? So that's just a practical general rule. But verse 14, even if you should suffer, even if they keep on, even if they keep doing it, do you remember who asked Jesus? Now, if somebody does something to me, how many times am I supposed to forgive him? Who asked that question? you remember? And what was the answer? Yeah, basically infinity. In other words, stupid question, Peter. You're not ready to write your book yet. You know, well, now he is. And now Peter's writing it. And he's like, he gets it. He gets it. It doesn't matter how many times you're flogged, how many times you're beaten, how many times you're cursed, how many times you're made fun of, how many movies come out and you, make you feel like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a Christian because everyone walks out of the theater like, those Christians are stupid or whatever. No. You don't repay for evil and you don't run away either. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. You're going to obtain this blessing. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. You know, when you retreat, that's why you're retreating. You're afraid and you're troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's the verse that we pluck out when we go, this is why we do apologetics. And we sharpen the sword of our apologetics, you know, like, oh, I'm going I'm to have the answers, you know. I'm going to like really, I'm going to, oh man, I can't wait till they ask the question. Now I'm going to dice them up and make them realize you're intellectually inferior and you have to become a Christian if you're smart, you know. If you're really smart, you'll become a Christian. You know, we just really sharpen the, the sword's edge. But when you take that verse in the context, he's, he's not going after that at all. He's not going after an aggressive Christianity where you go to people on the street you know, and, and just, you know, go after them and, you know, see what you're doing right there? That's sin. You're going to hell and, you know, and there's weird on-ramps to conversations. No. He says how to do it. 
the end of verse 15. Do it with gentleness and respect. Well, how can I respect them if they're making fun of me? Because you return evil, you return good for evil. Having a good conscience, keep your conscience clear. So that when you're slandered, those who revile you, revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Better to have people against you than the Lord against you, is what he means in that last line. Better to have people against you than have the Lord against you. It's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And so when I look at this verse, we're going we're gonna to unpack this passage, this verse, over the next couple of weeks. I just want to camp out on one thing today, one thing. And when I read this verse recently in preparation for this, the first question that came to my mind was, how do I live my life that prompts that kind of question? Has anyone approached you and said, man, you have this hope. It's like, it's like you have, you're locked on to something else and none of this stuff bothers you. How do you do that? How do I live my life so that I get that kind of question? How do I live my life so I'm asked that? Because Peter's saying, he's, this long paragraph that we just read, if you live like that, basically he's saying, if you live like that, you'll be prepared to make a defense anytime someone asks you for the hope that is in you. But maybe a lot of us are never asked why there's a hope in us. So we never get to live this passage out. So what is it? What is it that we, we may be missing that we're not getting this kind of question? We're not, we're getting, we're not getting asked this. And that's a, that's a tough one. And rather than going to other sources or just experience or other passages even, I think we could find the answer right in this passage. He says, verse 15, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Okay, how do we get asked this question? Before we unpack it in the text, I think the easy answer to set us up is we're, we're always asked about the things that shine in us most, right? If you just lost a ton of weight and everyone else is trying to lose weight, they ask you, don't they? How'd you do it? They'll ask you. They'll, they'll ask you. They'll be like, what did you do? What's the secret? You know, what's the, everyone wants to know the secret. That's why we sell these gadgets and gizmos you know, that you do, and everyone keeps buying these things. Why do they keep buying these magic pills? Because everyone's dying to know the secret. So if you lose weight in a radical fashion, you show up to work and there's like new clothes, you know. How'd you do that? Okay, maybe you're a good cook, and people come over, they taste it, mm, give me the recipe, how do you do that? It's, it stands out so much from all the other stuff that I eat. I want to know how to cook this meal. It stands out. It's different. And people deep down, they're longing for something like that. And so then they ask. Um, it's when something is different. It's when something stands out. Um, Gordon's with us here. I don't want to embarrass him or anything, but when we went, we went to Serbia recently, it's not embarrassing. We went to Serbia recently. Um, I was actually hoping Mark was here too because I was going to call him out. No, I wasn't. Um, he'll be here in a little bit. We, 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 uh, Mark's wife pulls up to take us to the airport, right? We're going to go. We're going to fly to Rome, and then we're going to fly to Serbia. And uh, we all pull out our bags, you know. And, uh, you know, they, they, they pull out these bags like this, you know, this 
they're, they're going to Europe, you know. And I come out with this little tiny bag. I feel guilty using the rollers. It's that small, right? Like, why am I not just carrying this thing? And it was a funny moment because they both looked at me, Mark and Gordon, they looked at me like, that's it? Right? <laughs> like, what do you have in there? What are you going to wear, you know? Um, I had a smart comment like, yeah, I'll teach you guys how to pack. I'll teach you guys how to pack, you know, because I got some tricks. Uh, but ironically, it got real cold over there, and I'm like, Mark, do you have a sweater? <laughs> yeah, he had, a, he had a different color sweater for every night of the week, apparently, in that Mary Poppins bag that he brought. I thought maybe they had a ton of room for souvenirs to bring back. No, their bags were chock full with, you know, different outfits every day of the week. But, but uh, they noticed. They noticed, oh, this guy packs differently. At some point, you weren't there for this one, Gordon, but at some point, Mark asked me, so, so how do you pack? <laughs> how do you pack for the trip? Because I, I wasn't, like, without anything except for that cold night, right? I used a sweater. But uh, I, I wasn't without anything, really. I, I just, it was just a certain way that I pack, certain tricks that I have, the way I roll it, the way I stuff it, the way I, you know, choose the outfits to, to pack small. When you do something that's in grand contrast, right, to what other people are used to, they ask. That's just how people are. And the reason why we don't get asked is because we don't live a life that contrasts theirs. They don't have money, they worry. We don't have money, we worry. Their kids get bad grades, they yell at their kids. Our kids get bad grades, we yell at our kids. And then both the Christian kids and the non-Christian kids go to school and share the same mom and dad stories. What's the difference? Right? The Lions Club helps the community, we help the community. I mean, what's different? What is different? This is why when we took that collection for the widow in Itasca, and I sat there and I sat at a table with, uh, with an elder of another church, the woman that runs the Itasca food pantry, and another guy who's not a pastor, but he's a Christian guy, and we sat around the table, how can we help this widow? Her, her husband passed away and there, she's going to lose her house because it was a fixer-upper, and the fixer died. He got killed in a car accident, she's got nothing. And I said, look, we want to help, but I want to know how the gospel comes into play. That's what I want to know. And I said, I don't want to say, come to church and we'll help you. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. But we don't want to just help goodbye either. Because how is that any different? How is that any different from what a Lions Club might do? Right? We have a gospel message, guys, in eternal hope. She can have that house fixed and then still die. Or some catastrophe happens, the house, you know, falls apart anyway. Those are all temporal things. What can we do to help her with the temporal thing as a signal, as an on-ramp to talk about the eternal thing? That's what I want to know. And our hope is that she attends one of these churches that has been, you know, helping her out. This guy's very evangelistic. You guys met him. He came and announced, and he's been talking to her about the gospel as well. So we live in a way that's in contrast. How do we live in a way that's in contrast? Well, we just talked about it. The world, how people are that don't have Christ, when they're attacked, what do they do? They retreat or they retaliate. If we do those same things, we're attacked and we retreat, or we're attacked and we retaliate, how are we different? The difference that's so striking, that prompts people to go, man, what is that? Is blessing when you're cursed. That's the difference. 
And Peter knows that when you start living like this, when you start living loud for Jesus and you start getting attacked and you respond with blessing, they're going to want to know. See, their, their ultimate question is not going to be, how come God, if God is good and God is all-powerful, then how does, he, you know, how does evil exist in the world? Um, how come my neighbor, is, you know, th- it's not going to be one of those intellectual. Their question is going to be, how is it that your aunt just died last week, your kid is sick, you lost your job, and you are smiling when I say something at you. You just smile and you, you gave me that thank you card for the other thing. I didn't deserve that. What kind of person are you? Are you human? That's what is prompted by this kind of living. It's not prompted by us just being the same as everyone else. We don't want to retaliate, so let's just be quiet. Now, to live this out, uh, we have to think of the kind of person we are. I'm the retreat kind of person. Okay? I'm just bearing that with you. I'm the retreat kind of person. With certain things, I'm the retaliate kind of person. It just depends on the thing. Right? With Christianity, I'm the retreat kind of person. And I hate that because here I am up in front of all of you with the Bible. You know, Well, it's easy in here. But if I'm sitting on a plane and someone next to me is like, so what do you do? I'm like, oh. I, you know, I'm in a dentist chair. So, where'd you go to school? Oh, Trinity. Oh, so you're a priest? I'm not a priest. Well, well what's the difference? And it's just, but then they're yanking your teeth. You can't talk anyway. I don't know why they ask you questions in the dentist chairs. Anyway, I'm the retreat kind of person. Because I'd rather just go out there. I'd rather be real Christian in here and just kind of go out there and just kind of mingle and blend in. Right? What kind of person are you? whether you're a retreat kind of person or retaliate kind of person, we both have to come to this middle place. It's impossible to get to that middle place if we're the incognito Christians. No one asks you because you're not saying anything. No one persecutes you because there's nothing to persecute. No one is saying anything to you because they don't know that you're different from anybody else. So we don't experience the persecution because we're not being loud about our faith. Peter's assuming that they're going to live loud. And when they live loud, they're going to get hit. And so he writes a whole letter on how to respond when you get hit. We're not even ready to read this letter if we're not living loud. Not live obnoxious, but live loud. We don't want to retreat and just, I don't want to be the obnoxious guy and just don't say anything ever. We have to say something to prompt something to bless and return with. They might get mad at you. They might say something bad. All right. Good, now you're at least at the level of the believers that are reading this letter initially. Now you're there. Now how do you respond to that? You respond positively to that. Maybe some, some of us are like the real retaliatory kind of people. Is that the word, retaliatory? I just made it up. I think it sounds good, right? We got that fight in us. But it's not coming from the right place. We don't want to win their soul. We want to win the argument. We don't, we, don't, we don't want to help them. We want to help ourselves. We don't want to help them find Jesus. We just want to beat them over the head with Jesus to make us look better. And th- that's not the way. No one's going to ask you about the hope that you have if you're behaving that way. So we have to come to this place where we're courageous enough to live loudly. And then when the questions come, when the antagonistic questions come, you see, they may not ask it politely. How do you have that hope? They might ask it in an antagonistic way. But you respond with blessing. You respond in a positive way. And they're going to want to know how you get that hope. Um, 
when we're blessed, when we bless in return, we'll be asked about our hope. The next two weeks, we're going to talk about how to unpack how we're responding. We get them to the point where they're asking about that hope. What do we say? We're going to talk about that in the next two weeks. And obviously, we continue to encourage you to invite people to this Q&A, but don't just depend on the Q&A. Get those conversations started and find out what those questions are. What are they asking? What's bothering them? Um, get, get them to the point where they're ready to engage in a conversation. But they're probably not going to be ready to do that if they're not seeing that we're living differently. We want to live in contrast. Okay? At the end of all of it, we're pointing them to the cross. The end of it is not get them to come to Christian Fellowship Church. The end of it is to get them to meet Jesus. Amen? Get them to see what Jesus has done for them. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to take communion. I want to invite the ushers.